Father, I want to pray as well. I thank you, Father, for what you allow me to do. Thank you for this church and this people, God, that uh, week in and week out allow me to pastor and teach. Thank you, God, for the good fruit that we see as a church and have you sustained us and loved us and kept us, God. Father, I am aware of some of my iniquities. One of them being, God, that I would still be drawn to concern over what people think of me or how people view me. I just confess that to you, God. What is in me that wants to be seen as intelligent or knowledgeable or eloquent? Father, the only thing good that I have is what you have given and gifted me to do and allow me to do. And I just pray today that you would be glorified. And God, even in my speaking, that you will not allow me to speak so well that people have their mind or their eyes taken off of you. God, help me to not make mistakes that would distract from your word. I ask that you would empower my speaking and preaching and that you would allow me to preach in the Spirit, led by Him. And I also ask God that as we worship in your word, that as a church we could hear and we would learn. We would not take for granted that you speak to your people. I ask God, as, as Eric just prayed, that your word would not return void. I ask God, please, in your mercy, save the lost. Sanctify your church. Bring back your wandering. Restore faith. Heal. Help us, God. May our eyes be on you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin this morning with, with a question to all of you. I want to ask you, what are the things that you value most about yourself? Now, when I ask you that question, I'm not asking about material things. So I'm not asking you to think about or consider the, the things that you have or the people in your life. I'm asking you to think about what you value most about yourself. Let me ask it this way. If you were to meet a stranger this week and they were to ask you, well, who are you? Tell me about yourself. And you had 60 seconds to explain to that person who you are and and completely neutral situation. You're not trying to get a job. You're not trying to earn anything. It's just someone who wants to know more about you. What would you fill that 60 seconds with? What would you say to them? What would you want them to know? And the reason that I ask the question that way is because I would submit to you that 
what you would say in that period of time, those 60 seconds, what you want that person to know about you, you're beginning to tap into what you really value. You're beginning to tap into how you see yourself, your identity. And identity is extremely important. Even secular mental health experts will quickly tell you that identity greatly affects your life. How you see yourself, who you think you are, greatly affects your life. Your daily choices are made out of your identity. Your future plans are made out of your identity. Even your own sense of personal fulfillment. Understanding what your purpose is and what you view the purpose of your life and then trying to achieve that comes from your identity. When you know who you are, you know what to do. That's the idea in identity. And the reason that I'm asking you that question this morning, the reason I'm starting that way, The reason I want to get you thinking about how you would identify yourself, what you value most, is because of the text that we're in this morning. The context of Matthew chapter 5 is that Jesus has gathered on a hillside His disciples and a large crowd of people. And He preaches to them the most famous sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount, one that we've went through as a church together. And as he's gathered them on this hillside and he is speaking to his disciples in this audience of people who are wondering about who this man is, what he's about, they're curious about his life, they're listening to him preach to his disciples, and they hear him tell his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Those are statements of identity. He is telling them who they are. And all of the instructions that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the, on the Mount, all of the instructions that are in just the small segment of text that we're looking at together from verse 13 to 16, but all of the Sermon on the Mount, all of the instructions, all of the things that Jesus says you should do these things or you should not do other things, the entire context of this sermon is surrounding identity. Jesus just isn't just giving religious instructions. That's what, that's what religion does. It gives you a, a set of rules, a list. Do these things, don't do these things. That's what it means to please God. It's not the gospel. The gospel starts with identity. Who you are. And then everything else flows from that. How you should live what your purpose should be, how you order your day, how you describe yourself in a 60-second window all comes from how you see yourself and the identity that Jesus has given you if you're a Christ follower. So He tells them, this is who you are. And the reason that I wanted us to look at this today is we're, we're in between preaching series. So we've just come out of a... We spent 12 weeks looking at the attributes of God, some of the attributes of God. 
the characteristics of God that He has given to us to describe Himself. And our whole purpose in that series was we wanted to know God better so we could love Him more and we could understand who He is. And we're about to move into a series on the family of God. We're going to go into a series on how the family of God is formed and the New Testament instructions on how we are to live within that family. But before we get there, it's critical for us to consider our identity and whether or not we are part of that family. Am I a Christ follower? Am I part of that family of God? But it's not just critical to consider whether we're part of it or not, but we also, even if we say, yes, I am, I am part of the family of God, we need to consider how much we value that. How much weight does that part of our identity have in our lives? How much does it affect you and I day to day to call ourselves Christ followers? What practical distinctions and difference is that identity making in how we live? That's the question that's before us. And that's what I want us to look at in exposing this word, Matthew chapter 5. So if you have one of our worship guides, if you're a note taker, and it helps you to fill in the blanks as we go through, if you'll grab that out, we're going to start looking at three three things we see in this text about our identity in Christ in this passage in Matthew 5. Number one, your identity in Christ is imparted to you through belief. It is imparted through belief belief. That's where we have to start today. Here's something very, very interesting. Jesus told this group of disciples on this hillside, you are the light of the world. That is a title that Jewish religious leaders in his day gave to their most respected teachers. The most famous rabbis were called the lamps of the universe, the lights of the world. These were men who had studied and studied and studied and devoted their life to the Scriptures, and they had earned title after title after title. And the people in that day, all the religious followers, they highly esteemed these men, and they would call them the light of the world. Imagine those men hearing Jesus on this hillside. Look at a band of peasants and farmers and fishermen and say, you are the light of the world would have been incredulous to them. They haven't earned anything. They haven't studied anything. They haven't been to our schools. They don't have our titles. They haven't earned their way. And Jesus looks at them and says, you're the light of the world. This identity that Jesus gives them, He doesn't give it to them because they've earned it. They are not the salt of the earth and the light of the world because they have earned that. It's not because of what they know. It's not because of what they have done. That identity is imparted to them for one reason. They are attached to Jesus. They belong to Jesus. And their identity is given to them. If you have a Bible, if you would turn to John chapter 1, As Kevin said, if you don't have a Bible this morning, we'd love to gift you one there on the back table. 
You're welcome to go and grab one of those. John chapter 1. Look at verse 9 through verse 13. John is speaking, writing, and he says in verse 9, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He's talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, His own people, and they did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here's what John is showing us. First and foremost, Jesus is the true light of the world. Everything, we just got through singing it. He is worthy of it all. Everything was made for Jesus and through Jesus. Jesus was the agent of creation in Genesis 1. Everything was made through Him. Everything was made for Him. He is the true light. He is the true light of the world, and He has come into the world. And there are two reactions to Jesus. Every single person who ever hears about the name of Jesus, there are two reactions. They receive Him or they reject Him. Now their rejecting of Him may look different. Some people reject Him by just ignoring it. Some people reject Him by despising Him. Some people reject Him by trying to take Him in and change Him into the version of Jesus they want Him to be. But others, they receive Christ. And what that means is they receive His mission and His person. He came to save the world from sin, to die on a cross, to forgive anyone who would look to Him, And He was raised to new life and He lives now to forgive and to mediate on behalf of every person who calls on His name. And people who receive Him, they they understand that. Yes, I have no hope aside from being forgiven of my sin. And the only person who can forgive me is Jesus. I want Him in my life. I want to give my life to Him. That's the idea of receiving Him. Every person does one of those two things. It's what happened in the day of Jesus when He walked the earth. It's what's happening right now as Jesus is still working through His people. People receive Him or reject Him. But for those who are willing to receive Him, for those who are willing to give their lives to Christ, we'll say it again, not give their lives to religion, Not give their lives to rules, but give their life to a person, to Christ, the Son of God. For every person that's willing to do that, Jesus gives them the right to become children of God. Man. Listen. I've said this to us many times. It is popular in our culture to say that every person alive is a child of God. That is not what the Bible says. To be a child of God is a divine right. And it is given to us who believe. How much does that mean to us? Do you have somebody that you really admire? 
like a, a celebrity, his, historical figure, someone that, like if you met them, you would just be like in awe. You might even act a little silly, ask them for a selfie, something like that. Like, do you have anyone like that? Do you have anyone that you really admire and, and, and you ever just think, man, what, what if Josh says no? That's good, Josh. Josh admires no one. <laughs> if you do have someone like that, or if you can use your imagination and pretend that you do, have you ever thought about well, what it would be like to be part of their family? Like I could just come and go as I please into their, into their home, into their house. I, I would belong there. That would be awesome. Like I would just have all the rights and privileges that goes with being a part of that family, a part of that group. How much does it mean to us to have the privilege of being a child of God? That's what the word right means. To all who receive Christ, He gives the right, that is privilege and authority. There are certain rights, certain authority that you have as a child of God. And it's a privilege to be called His child. Not something you earn. Not something everyone has. But to those who receive Christ, they have that right. And as a child of God, when you are joined in His family, what we're about to talk about over the next several weeks, being part of the family of God, you have certain responsibilities in the family, you have certain rights and privileges in the family, and you have an identity. You will carry that identity with you. And part of that identity, going back to Matthew 5, part of the identity of being a child of God is you are salt and you are light. Not because you've earned it, not because you've studied, not because you've, you've done all these things to accomplish it, but because it is part of your rights as a child of God. It's part of who you are. You are salt and you are light. What does that mean? All right, well, salt, and you can and you can really get in the weeds in this if you go and just try to do a word study, but just in a in a base form, all right, just a base form. What does salt do? It's used, especially in biblical times in the Old Testament, to purify things, to preserve life. I was trying to look it up yesterday. It's just like like all of us, like we have to have salt in our bodies to live. Now, there's conditions if you don't have enough salt in your body. Your blood won't flow. Eventually your heart won't pump. Slip into a coma and die. Animals need salt to live. Salt gives life. It purifies. It preserves. And then light. What does light do? It shines a path where you should walk. It dispels darkness. It warms your soul. It's good for you. Even like when you're Doctors will say that, like at a time where you're just kind of melancholy, dealing with sadness or depression, get out, get outside, get in the sun. Light warms your soul. What Jesus is saying here is that people in the family of God will have a positive influence on the world. They will be salt and they will be light. But not because of what they do, because of who they are. Jesus alludes to in Matthew 5, he talks about it being a lamp, a lamp on a, on a stand. 
lamps are lit and then they burn, right? That's how we receive this identity. We are lit, if you will, by the power of the Holy Spirit when we come to know Christ. And that light is in us now. And we shine it to others. If you are in this room, if you're watching this later, and you are a Christ follower, you are designated the light of the world. You are designated the salt of the earth. And the reason I'm stressing that is because I think the tendency might be for some of us to disagree with that. Maybe new followers, new Christians, to say, well, maybe one day I'll get to that point. No, Jesus is talking to people who haven't been following Him very long. His ministry hasn't even been going on that that long. They've just placed faith in Jesus. And He says, okay, now, you are the light of the world. Now, as you grow, as you come to know Christ, as you're discipled, will your light get brighter? Absolutely. But you're not waiting to get to that place to earn that designation. You have that designation right now if you are in Christ. Some of us might be because we're older. And so we're not in that... Maybe there was a time in our lives where we'd say, well, I had vigor and zealousness for Jesus and I was, I was in situations where I could proclaim Him and make Him known. But I, I'm, 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 I'm older now and... And I don't have those many opportunities anymore. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. There's no expiration on that. It's who you are. It's the designation that God has given you. Charles Spurgeon. Josh, throw a Spurgeon quote in. Josh poked fun at me about that a few weeks ago. Where there is faith, there is light. Spurgeon said, wherever you find faith, there will be light. If there is faith in you, there is light in you. So you are the light of the world. This is your identity if you are in Christ and it is imparted to you through belief. Secondly, that identity in Christ, that identity that it gives you, produces certain good works. That light, that designation of who you are, that identity is going to produce in you and out of you certain good works. And that, that's what Jesus says here. He says, okay, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine. And I love that language, by the way. I, I, I don't want to, I could get really, I could probably press it too far. He doesn't say, now go shine your light. He says, let your light shine. There's a, there's a difference in, in, in that language. He's saying, be who you are. Live into that. And let the light that is in you shine. And then he clarifies that as being good works. Verse 16, in the same way, let 
your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So there's an illusion here, a connection made between shining your light and doing good works to others that will cause them to glorify God. This is in line with other scripture in the New Testament. James, in James chapter 2, he teaches that faith that doesn't have works is dead. And what he means by that is true faith is going to produce these kinds of good works. If you truly have faith, then what is going to be produced out of you is good works that glorify God. And that's very, very important. Very important distinction I want to make. We're not simply talking about good, doing good deeds. People that are in the world who don't know Jesus do good deeds. There is a common grace that we have from God that causes people to do good things. So we're not simply talking about doing some act of sacrifice. Although we are talking about that, but that's not all we're talking about. We're talking about doing things that bring glory to God. If we are simply trying to do good deeds and there's no connection and no pointing to God and Christ, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, let your light shine so that God is glorified. So if if you are going to feed people who are hungry, that is a really, really good thing. Do it so that God is glorified. If you're going to give yourself to preaching, that's a good thing. Do it so God is glorified, not so you're glorified. Do it so people look to Jesus. If you're going to play an instrument and sing, if you're going to greet people, if you're going to be a generous person, if you're going to help your neighbor, whatever you do, do it to glorify God. That is the certain good works that are produced out of our identity. Works that come from love. The love of God that the Holy Spirit has poured into our hearts according to Romans 5.5. 5. So what does it look like? Let your light shine before others. What kinds of things are we talking about? I certainly wasn't trying to be all-inclusive when I said a moment ago that light shines a path and dispels darkness and warms the soul, but those are three good places to start. Really practically, okay? If you want to leave here or even this morning before you leave or when you get home or work tomorrow, I want to, sh- I want to let my light shine. What does that mean? Well, shine the path for other people. Make the gospel known. Show the results of a peaceful life. Let people understand the benefit of living peacefully with God and others. Give thanks to God. Like, tell people what God has done for you. Share that with others. Be thankful in your homes for the things that He has done. Pray and ask for things, yes, but give thanks and honor to God when He answers those things. Or even when He doesn't. Shine a light for people to be able to see Him. Talk about Jesus. We mentioned this last week. Some of us, like it's easy to even kind of get bold to talk about God. But we're talking about Christ. Sometimes that's a lot harder. 
Because that's a dividing line for people. They're going to receive it or reject it. They might be okay with you talking about God. The moment you say Jesus, they got to make a decision. But shine that light. Dispel the darkness. Yes, work for justice. Do acts of sacrifice. Share what you have. Open your home up. Take food to people who don't have any. Give rides to people who don't have them. Use what God has put in your care. Dispel darkness. Speak truth. That's part of dispelling darkness. Speak truth in love. Reveal what is evil and what is wrong. Not to point your finger and judge someone, but to be light. If we're not going to share truth, if we're not going to be willing to take courageous stands for what the Bible says, who will? Look, you can do that in a way that is very off-putting. We can, we can be offensive on purpose with truth. We're not called to that. We're called to love people and share truth with them in a loving way. If they get offended by what is true, they're ultimately not offended by us. They're offended by God. You can do everything that you can to share truth in a way that is loving, but share truth. Reveal what is wrong. That is the church. It is the pillar and buttress of the truth. Do it in a way that makes Jesus look glorious. He's not made to look glorious when we talk down to people because they're sinners or they're lost or they don't know Him. But He's also not glorified when we pretend that there is no sin, that there is no truth. Warm the souls of people. That's what light does. It warms the soul. Be peacemakers. Gladden people's hearts. Encourage them. When you see people down, try to lift them up. That's what light does. We could go on and on and on. Every good work you see in the New Testament that brings glory to God. That's what it means to shine your light. To let your light shine. Lights don't shine for themselves. Your salvation is not just about you. You have been saved to operate in other people's lives. To shine light. To be concerned about others. This dispels any notion of isolated Christianity. Yes, I've said it so many times. Church is hard. Community is hard. My intention is, as we get into this series on the family of God, to be as real, open, transparent, raw as we can, because it is difficult at times. But there is nothing in the Bible about isolated Christianity. We are called to be part of the family. Who do you shine your light to? Jesus says all people, everyone in the house. First and foremost, shine your light to Jesus. 
Do works that are just between you and God that nobody else will ever know about. Do it in secret. Pray in secret. Worship in secret. Read in, in secret. Do things to please your Father in heaven and just be with Him. Shine your light that way. Shine your light to those in your immediate context. Shine your light in your home. Shine your light to your spouse. Let your light shine to your kids. Let your light shine to your parents. Let your light shine to those that God has placed you in. No one may ever know about it. You may never have a huge public forum. That's okay. Let your light shine where He has placed you. And then let your light shine to the church that He has placed you in, the family of God. Serve. Love people. Use your gifts. Try to disciple others. Engage with others in your community to teach them, to learn from them. Find places to help the people of God in practical ways and in serving to make ministry and mission available and happening in your church. And then shine your light to people who don't know Jesus. Agape, we cannot ignore the lost. Agape, we must have a bigger heart for people who don't know Jesus. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to all of us. Whether we are angered by what we see, or we simply just don't have time for it, we must have a bigger heart to make Christ known and to shine light before people who do not know Him. To make disciples. And yes, it's you. It's me. But I'm saying it's you not to let myself off the hook, but to say it's not just about the leaders in the church. It's not just about the people that, that, that have a title or a position. As a matter of fact, when you really get down to it, if you want to look up the job description of a pastor in the New Testament, it says it is to equip the saints for works of ministry. So shine your light to the lost. This is our identity. It's given to us by our attachment to Jesus. Our identity produces out of us certain good works. And then number three, our identity places us within God-honoring boundaries. Our identity places us within God-honoring boundaries. In other words, we know what to do, but we also know what not to do. Jesus says, a city on a hill can't be hidden. It would be foolish for you to think that if there is a city bright and lit up, placed on a hill, for you to try to hide that somehow. 
It'd be foolish. You can't do that. Lamps. People don't light a lamp and then put it under a basket. It's silly. It's just a foolish thought. You don't don't turn on a lamp at your house and then go find a dark cover and put it over there. If somebody was over at your house and saw you doing that, they'd be like, well, what do you, why? Just don't turn it on. And the whole point of it is to burn and shine light. Salt that has lost its taste, it's no longer good for anything. So what is he warning us against? Well, very clearly, he's saying, Do not hide your light. The Holy Spirit of God has given you the light of Christ for a reason. Don't try to hide that. I think the plain meaning of this is, church, don't try to hide your righteousness. Do not try to hide the fact that you're a Christ follower. Don't be ashamed that you belong to Jesus. There are times in all of our lives where we weigh the cost of letting someone know that we're a Christian. And sometimes we determine that the cost of that is going to be harder, heavier than the benefit of that. And we shrink back. That cost might be a job or persecution or someone looking at us differently. Or that cost may simply be we have to invest in others and do things that we don't really want to do. Jesus is saying, I did not place my light in you for you to go and hide it. Shine. Don't hide your light. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And Don't lose your saltiness. It's very interesting. That's one word in the original language. Losing its taste. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, lost its taste is one word. It means to lack favor, excuse me, to lack flavor or to lack vigor. In other scriptures, that very same word is used to describe people acting foolishly. One of the ways that you and I will lose our saltiness, that we are not the salt of the earth, is that we begin to do things that are unrighteous instead of righteous. That we begin to act in ways that are not conducive to being a Christ follower. In Psalm 92, in the Old Testament, Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15, the psalmist writes this, The righteous flourish like the palm tree. They grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. And then the psalmist says that all of these things are true so that these people can declare that the Lord is upright, that He is their rock, and that there is no unrighteousness in Him. Identity informs what we do, and it informs what we should refuse to do. We should refuse to hide who we are. 
Because if we hide who we are, we show that we do not really value that part of our identity. If we hide the fact that we're a Christ follower, we are showing, I don't really value that as much as I should. And to lose our saltiness would be to engage in sin and to go along with sin. And that shows that we are not zealous for God's glory as we should be. Are there things in the Bible, instructions on you should do these things and not do these things? Absolutely. But I want to say it again. Religion says, here's the rules. Go live by those. The gospel is, you have the right to be a child of God because of your faith in Jesus. The love of God has been poured into your heart. Honor God. Do the things that bring Him glory. Repent and stay away from the things that would make Him look less glorious. Let people see your righteous works so that they give glory to your Father. Don't let them see you loving unrighteousness the way everybody else does. What glory does God get in that? Our identity places us within God-honoring boundaries. Every week I try to give you a life truth. This week your life truth is a Bible verse. It was one that was shared with me by someone Last week, we were talking to me about the sermon on Easter Sunday and said it reminded me of this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. The next morning, another one of you shared that on social media. I pay attention to those things. I thought this is maybe a verse I should read. Let's fill it in together. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, church, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, Paul's applying that to the resurrection and living, understanding that Jesus has been raised from the dead and He's going to return one day and judge all the earth. Therefore, be steadfast, be immovable, abound in the work of the Lord. I want to connect it to what we just talked about. Church, your identity, if you're a Christ follower, is that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And the Holy Spirit has placed the love of God and the light of Christ in you so that you will let it shine. So that you will have a positive influence on the world for the glory of God. Therefore, be steadfast. Be immovable. Abound in the work of the Lord. Why do we have to be told to be steadfast and immovable? Because in this life, what we're talking about will be hard. Jesus' sales pitch for the gospel, pick up your cross and follow me. Be willing to die to yourself to really live. One of the writers at Desiring God, he said, when you let your light shine, 
you are going to provoke praise or persecution. You have to be ready for that. There's going to be times where you let your light shine and some people are going to be drawn to that light. They're not even going to, they're not even going to know why. They're going to see that light in you and something is going to compel them. Ah, I, I see that. I'm drawn toward that. I want to know them more. I want to understand what they're about. I, I want to listen to them. I want to be around them. What is happening is God is doing a work in their soul. God is doing a work in their heart to draw them in. It's the only explanation. So good when that happens. Church, sometimes you're going to shine that light and the people that you try to shine it to, they're going to hate it. They're going to reject it. You might even suffer because of it. So here's what God wants you to know. It's worth it. Your labor is not in vain. Preach this to yourself. Every time you have the temptation to not be steadfast in holding on to the gospel, every time you have a temptation to move even slightly away from Jesus and what He has said to you, every time you have the temptation to not please God by doing certain things, Every time you have the temptation to displease God by doing other things, bring yourself back to your identity. Say to yourself, I'm the light of the world. I am the salt of the earth. And I must live like that. And it will not be in vain. Do I see wicked people prospering? Yes. Do I get rejected and hurt when I share Jesus? Yes. But my labor is not in vain. God has promised me that. May I lose friends over it? May I lose money? May I lose a job? Maybe. Some people, that will happen. Your labor is not in vain. God, it's hard. It's hard to be faithful. It's hard to hold on. Your labor is not in vain. Preach that to yourself. So I'm going to end where I started. What do you value most about yourself? What would be in your 60 second spill if you were to introduce yourself to someone? What would you highlight? Are you in Christ? Is that your identity? Do you value that part of your identity if you are in Christ? Does that identity inform every other thing that you do? That's how identity in Christ works. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. I'm an IT analyst. I'm a friend. I have things that I value. But being in Christ informs how I live and do all of those other things. But if you flip that with anything, 
and your job becomes the most important thing about you. Your title, your role in your family. If that becomes the most important thing, that doesn't have the ability to inform who you are in Christ. The number one identity must be in Jesus. If you are not in Christ, God has placed you here for you to hear the offer to be given the right to be a child of God. And it is believing in Jesus. And if you are in Christ, God has given you the right to be a child of God. Value that above anything else. As the worship team comes up, I want to invite you what I invited you to do last week. Take the next step. What is that for you? Take the next step. If you are not in Christ, please, if you are willing to acknowledge that and you want to learn more about that before you leave here today, please come talk to me. Or come and talk to Sam or go talk to Kevin. Just say it. Because if you hear His voice today, do not ignore His voice. If you are in Christ and you know that, but you're able to see, I'm not as zealous for that as I should be. That doesn't have as much weight on me as it should be. Repent and walk toward God in that. Talk to Him about it. If you are in Christ and you value that, press in deeper. Pray and worship. Ask God to not let that be taken from you. That joy you have in Him. God is able to speak to you. My encouragement today is listen. And take whatever that next step is. We're going to worship together. There's going to be some prayer partners over here to my left. There are times in our lives where we just need somebody to pray for us. It may be about what we've talked about this morning. It may be something else God has revealed to you. It may be a physical need that you have. The people who will be over here, they're they're there for that reason, to pray for you. You may want to get up this morning and go find someone and pray for them that God has laid on your heart. Or you may want to sing. Thanksgiving to God for all He has done. Whatever it is, respond to Him. Father, my prayer this morning that You would ensure that Your Word would accomplish its purposes. I don't believe or pretend, God, that I have preached perfectly today, but I trust in the perfection of Your Word and I ask for it to accomplish its work. I pray, God, please, if there is anyone here who doesn't know You, You would open their eyes and today would be the day of new life and of receiving the great gift of being a child of God. God, if there are any of us who have wandered from You, I pray You would bring us back. Any of us, God, who have become disillusioned with our faith or the church, that You would re-energize us and give us zealousness for You. I pray, God, those who are in Christ, You would strengthen them to go deeper. I ask God that Do not leave us alone.
Stir us by your Spirit. Fill this church, God, with love and good works. Fill this church with your light, these people with your light, to shine before others and make you known. Help us, God, to be who you have made us to be, salt and light, to value that, God. To value that above anything else in our lives. Let our identity in Christ inform all that we are. Let us remember, God, the greatest thing about us is not something we've earned. It's something we've been given. God, please change hearts today and lives. God, we do believe You still do miracles. You still visit Your people. You still give gifts. Please let us taste today and see that You are good. Bring healing today, God. Bring help today, God. God, break down any walls that the enemy has built up about lies, about You, about Your church. Tear those down so that people may see the truth. God, make us worshipers in spirit and truth. Stir us, God, with heavenly power. Save our souls. Add to our number, God, those being saved. In Jesus' name.